0: Well, folks, I'm back. I gotta say, I've missed being in your ears. I've missed it in here. Mmm, what lovely ears you have. And it is so nice to have my voice back inside. Ah, I could just rest my head upon thine eardrums. Look at all this wax in here. My goodness. You haven't really kept it up since the last time I've been in here. But hey... The podcast is back. I'm so excited to be back in your car or truck with you if that's where you listen or joining you for this nice run or stroll that you're on or hey, I love cleaning the house with you or being with you while you're doing the laundry or sitting on the toilet or maybe you're on a roller coaster or maybe you're um, you work for the FBI and you're middle in the middle of investigating a heinous murder. And while you're doing that, you decided, hey, let me pop on the newest episode of the Taylor Johnson podcast wherever or however you're choosing to listen to this. Whatever you're doing while you're listening to this, it's nice to be here with you unless you're the one who committed that heinous murder that the FBI is investigating. If you're listening to this while committing a terrible crime, I'm going to have to ask you to stop. Put on the Joe Rogan podcast or something else. I don't want to be any, I don't want to have anything to do with whatever it is that you're doing, if it is illegal or dangerous or it's hurting other people. And that is uh, what I am willing to, (laughs) that is the bold stance I'm willing to take. But we're back. This is the Taylor Johnson podcast. I know it's been a while. I know I had to take a hiatus. The world is wild, the world is crazy. The long awaited, and probably for some of you, the long forgotten. You completely forgot about this podcast, and that's okay, but we're back now. And since it's been a while, let's just have a refresher. This is the first full length episode that we've had in a while. But now that we're back, it's going to be back until forever. New episodes every other week until the end of the world or I die. But I, would, I think it would be cool if I died at the end of the world. That would be nice if they kind of like synced up like that. That way it would just be a clean break for the podcast. But whichever one comes first, new episodes every other week from now until eternity. Full-length episodes with all the elements, with all the bits and pieces. And this being the first episode back, let me give you a little bit of a refresher. Every episode I come on and I ramble for way too long. And then I do a quick check-in with my good friend, Glendon. Glendon has been my friend since I was in the sixth grade. In fact, uh, or no, maybe seventh grade. It's been a very long time. Glendon was actually my youth pastor for the longest time. And then he abandoned me my junior year, which he doesn't like when I say that. But I just think it's funny to still say it that way. But we have stayed friends ever since then. We talk on the phone almost every single week. And I thought that would be a nice element to add to the podcast. So every week at the beginning of the episode, I give a quick call to my friend Glendon to catch up, to rehash, to finish any, I don't know, outstanding business that we have, whatever it may be. So let's give a call to Glendon. Hello? Hello, Glendon. What's up, Taylor? Hi, hello, welcome back to the podcast is back.
1: The podcast is back, man. This is great news. I'm happy. Uh, I am too. So I don't want
0: to talk a lot about coronavirus and what it has done to the world and, you know, everything, but I, I do need to say this. I had a lot of camps that I was going to be speaking at or working at in some capacity. I was going to have a couple services, maybe a retreat or a conference of some kind planned from the spring to the end of the summer. I ordered a ton of t-shirts with my dumb, terrible picture on them, just the worst picture ever taken as a joke, as a bit, a bit that I would do in my stand-up. So then after the shows, I could sell those shirts. We've talked a lot about it here on the podcast over the weeks as I've purchased these dumb shirts and I've had them. And the plan was that I would sell them at camps. But now I have not had any camps. And so I have over 150 of these shirts in my home. And I don't know the next time I will ever be able to get rid of them.
1: They are now covid masks. <laughs> Just cut that part out, fold it over. Your face is my mouth. I that's the <laughs> that's I don't like that <laughs> as an
0: advertisement.
1: Oh man. Hi, I'm Taylor oh, wow. Johnson. My
0: face is your mouth.
1: <laughs> I think it would be great. Dude, I still need to buy a shirt. I need I need to buy a shirt. Wow! Yeah, yeah, you do. Everybody does. And then everybody saved one for the marathon that we were going to run, but now we aren't. Oh, no you're one's right. Training. There's all
0: sorts of updates I have to give.
1: Oh man, we got a lot a lot of stuff going on.
0: Yeah. Okay. Look, the plans that we had have all fallen apart. This stupid shirt plan <laughs> went away. Okay. Uh, other plan was a large group of people who listen to the podcast and are a part of the podcast. We were all going to run the Disney marathon together in January. Um, but nope, that's definitely not happening because, uh, since a bunch of other Disney races got canceled, uh, that were supposed to be like in the summer and in the fall, a bunch of people were just like, I guess we're all going to go to the marathon weekend so like registration filled up in two hours the day that it opened up
1: wow i did not know that
0: yeah so i barely made it in
1: i'm glad i didn't make it in i mean i'm glad you made it in but unfortunately i did not make it in
0: yeah well i made it in and my mom and my sister made it in so the two of them are going to run the half marathon I'm going to run the full marathon. The plan was I was going to sign up on the first day and then be able to, because like last year I, I didn't sign up until October and registration opens in like March. So Mm. like it wasn't a race, you know, it wasn't like a immediate, you've got to get in as fast as you can. So I was like, we've got time. I can give out information. Yeah. Nope. Not this year. But here's the new plan. Here's the new plan. So I'm going to run... This is my second time running the Disney Marathon. I'm going to do it one more time because this will be 2021. And then in 2022, I'm going to run the marathon. And that's going to be the one that everyone's going to come to and everyone's going to run together because we're all going to run to support the National Foundation for Suicide Prevention charity. We're going to all raise money for that. And... uh, Also, that'll be January 2022, which still feels very weird to say. That feels like a very futuristic date. That doesn't feel like that's two years away. That'll be when my next book is coming out. Celebrate good times. Come on. So I will uh, be able to give a book. Well, I, I think it'll come out in February. And everyone who comes to the race, I'll give a copy of the book early. And then we can all promote it and celebrate it together and and um so
1: start training now I'm glendon start today no tomorrow okay well um i will talk to you later glendon all right talk to you later taylor all right bye bye
0: So one of my favorite parts about living in Dallas, Texas is this live show that I've got to be a part of over the last couple of years. It's a storytelling show called, uh, I think it's just called like Backyard Storytelling Show. It's at a place called The Wild Detectives. And um, back before everything that's happening in the world right now, back when everything was still normal... It was a monthly show on a Sunday night, and anyone could sign up to tell a story during the show. They put out a theme online. Hey, this is what the theme is for the month. All of your stories have to fit this theme, and so if you had a good story that fit it, you could sign up to tell it. And I started doing it, and I love it so much. It is so much fun. One of the coolest parts about it is you have no idea who you're gonna see What you're going to see, what kind of story you're going to hear. Some are going to be funny, some are going to be serious, some are going to be sentimental, some are going to be sad, some are going to be happy. It is a mixed bag every time. And it's also a mixed bag when it comes to the types of performers you see. Like one time, there was a woman from the Dallas Opera who came and told a story, and she brought all of her fancy opera friends, and they sat on the grass, and they had like wine and cheese, and they were very fancy. And then like right after she performed was some like 18 year old dude who like cussed so much. And he told a story about working at Starbucks and Chuck Norris came in and like that was the whole story. And it was so funny. And like some people are like professional storytellers and other people. It is just very clearly like this is a story they tell their friends and it always gets a laugh. And someone dared them to do this show. And they just got up without any sort of preparation. And it is still so much fun. And I have been doing this for months and months and coming up with new stories and trying out stories I've done for years. And then I see this girl perform who is so good, who is like so good, it makes me mad. Like I am Angry at how incredible she is at crafting, at writing, at planning, and then performing a story that like, I, I can't, I can't even describe it to you without wanting to throw my microphone because of just how good it was. And then I found out that she taught storytelling at a local improv theater. And then I saw her perform a second time, a totally different story that was still just as incredible and just as well-crafted. And I kept seeing her time and time again, consistently the best stories of the night, always incredible. And then I found out that she has like a full-time real job that has nothing to do with performing, that has nothing to do with storytelling. It is not what she's trying to you know, pursue as a career. This is just a hobby. This is just something that she does for fun. And throughout coronavirus, with everybody getting locked in their homes and not being able to do all the things they normally do, there was a lot of talk online about finding new hobbies, finding new ways to pass the time, stuff to do. And it got me thinking about this performer who is an incredible storyteller just for fun. And I wanted to talk to her about storytelling in general, uh, the craft of performing, and then also specifically like, why do you do this? It's not your job. Every human being is always busy. She's married. So like, how do you find the time? Why do you find the time? Why are you so good at this and why is it so important to you? And so that is the conversation that you're about to hear. This is my friend, Devin, who is one of the most incredible storytellers I've ever seen in my life. This conversation goes all over the place. There, is, there were so many surprises to me and I really enjoy this. Devin is so funny and so fun to talk to. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Devin. So, um, how are you from Dallas?
2: No. So this is actually oh. super it's funny that you asked that. Is this super relevant to what I do with storytelling? I'm from Orlando, Florida. I was born and raised. Oh, there. really? I, yes. Yes. So when you were posting, you posted a lot about uh, going to Disney because you went to the Florida Disney, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that I grew up with.
2: Yes. Yes. So that makes sense because um, that's also that was my first job. I actually worked for Radio Disney. I was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle in a big costume yes with my with my first boyfriend who also turned out to be my first gay friend um our first gig together i know this just it unravels very quickly um was putting on these big muscle green muscle suits and a big foam michelangelo head i was michelangelo cowabunga dudes and walking around a mall promoting radio disney because at the time there was a show on radio disney um about the Ninja Turtles, I guess. I I wish I could remember how, but there's a lot of hideous pictures of me. So I actually, I haven't been to Disney since I was very young um and but this all to say there's a big performing culture in Orlando because everybody comes for Disney. Everybody comes because you can get a stable job as a performer in Disney. So the theater community around it is huge. Um oh. and to get on stage, you have to know your stuff. Like you have to you have to be top of the line. Nobody believes me until they go and see theater shows in Orlando, but it's some of the best in the country. Um so that's kind of where I started all of my storytelling stuff and performing. Was back there, back in sunny Orlando. Um, But yeah, no, Orlando Disney is not messing around. That is all we are in a lot of Orlando, or that's what most people think we are. But actually, my origin is more like the gator wrestling Orlandos, like the small, barefoot, climbing trees Orlando, who happen to be employed by Disney. Um, But that's so funny. Do you, quick divergence, have you ever watched any of those YouTube videos about like the rides, riding the rides with the lights on?
0: Oh, yeah, uh, yes, some of them. Um, because even like when I went recently, it felt weird to see it as an adult and like it's easier to like p- notice the tricks or like yes. being, um, being on Splash Mountain and if you just look up at the roof, it just looks like the roof of an office building. And I was yes. like, oh, I don't want to, no, no, don't look at that. <laughs> so like part of me like loves to see like the strings <laughs> that are, you know, uh, in control of everything. But then there's the other part of me that's like, don't let that... Like, you can enjoy it, but don't let it ruin it for you.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I... I adore things like that. I don't know what my problem is, but there's something about being immersed in a fantasy that I cannot stand and I have to <laughs> pick it apart. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know if it's my science background or what it is, but I'm just like, I'm going to look for the seams in this and I'm going to, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to remove myself from this reality. And I enjoy it so much more that way. Um, my husband can't stand it because I'll spend hours watching, like, the Jaws ride at Universal. They drained the water out of it at some point. And I was like, well, I got to see those half animated animatronic sharks. Are you kidding me? Yes. 40 minutes of this and then watch it again. Um, but it's it's funny you mentioned being, like, taking out of the illusion my dad is a big figure in Orlando, Florida. He's kind of like an inspirational speaker marketing guru, an improv guru. Um, and he used to work with Disney teams designing different rides. And so when I was a child, he what? let me as a he, I he did not know we them. were
0: going to talk about any of this stuff. I'm so it's...
2: sorry. And please tell me to stop if I'm taking it no, too I, I just... this, as,
0: as, as, no Nothing <laughs> else is important right now
2: okay because he didn't so i should say he did not design the rides himself but he's like the person who gets in and is like okay i want you guys to all sit next to each other and throw tennis balls at each other now tell me what that means to you yeah synergy he's much better at it than i am but he does it with a with like big groups of people including the folks who designed um the harry potter world in Universal, like that experience, and certain roller coasters. I believe this one was for Disney. It could have been for SeaWorld. I was like 10, and he said, Hey, Devin, would you draw a design for a roller coaster so that I can share it with my team? Because he loves, like, the inspiration of children. And I created this nightmare where it's this, like hourglass that tips over and flips people and most of the inspiration the Imagineers wrote back on it like oh Devin this is so cool great job you're gonna take my job one day and then one wrote this would kill people <laughs> 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 and I mean like they're right <laughs> it would <laughs> um but I've carried that with me now through my life so yeah theme parks I are feel great like, uh-
0: I, I have to find that balance because like I, I love the behind the scenes. I love like thinking about how a park is manipul- manipulating mm-hmm. you and like mm-hmm. how it's like creating certain feelings. because like I feel like that's important like as a performer. Like Oh yeah. you you know the tricks of like how to I mean saying manipulate feels bad, but like how to manipulate no, an true. audience to feel what you want them to feel. Um, And also, so when I went in September, uh, it ended up being that no one was there, like because a hurricane was supposed to hit and then it didn't, and so everyone canceled their trips. So I did every, I I was there for four days and I did everything that I wanted to in the first two. So I was just like looking for stuff to do. (laughs) And I was posting all these pictures and people like were like really enjoying them. So I was like, I need to get more pictures. So I started meeting characters, which feels, it's the weirdest and worst thing in the world. And I just, like, (laughs) part of me... I just wanted to make them, like I wanted them to subtly break the fourth wall. Just like, give me some hint that you're a real person. They can't, Uh, they can't
2: do it, they won't. It's like they have their families in the back and they're like, if you, Cinderella, if you drop that voice, I swear, (laughs) your mom gets it. Like Disney, Disney's intense. I actually, it's funny you mentioned from a performer's perspective because I've met lots of performers from Disney and you can tell when a performer has been accepted to Disney versus when they've been accepted to Universal.
3: I could oh. tell
2: you a Disney performance versus a Universal performance versus somebody who did not make it into either one of them. Like if you put them in a play in front of me, I bet you I could tell you who is in Disney. Disney folks tend to manipulate And I I will use the word manipulate because that's what you do. You're shaping an environment for people to feel. And they tend to manipulate every environment they're in in a very high energy, positive way. That's what Disney looks for. They want to create a magical experience where you never feel like you're in too much peril. Universal, on the other hand, is like, no, you're going on the Spider-Man ride. We're going to make you feel like you're going to fall off of a building. You're going to love it. Just deal. Um, and it's two very different energies. And I always am. I use my Disney background when I am doing public speaking, but not in my own voice. So like if I'm giving a scientific presentation to a group of kids, that's Disney Devon. And I actually call her that. I'm like, that's Disney Devon. Um, and my friends make fun of me. But when I'm going up on stage to give a performance, it's a little more. I try not to be too theme parky, but I would say it leans a little more universal. Like I want you to feel like you could actually fall off the precipice of feeling something intense for a moment. So that's kind of where that lies.
0: That is so interesting. That like, okay, because, okay, okay. So now I'm just going to ask for advice in thinking through like performing because what I find especially difficult performing for... Uh, church audiences is um, they don't, getting them to trust me with dangling them over a press, you know, like with talking, so like I have jokes about death. Or telling the story, like my dad just passed away last year. And so, like, there were funny moments that happened through that whole process. Yes. And bringing it up, like, it is so crazy. I love the fact that you can feel an audience, like, what they're feeling like. You can feel when an audience gets uncomfortable, you can feel Mm -hmm. when they relax. And I always get so nervous when I'm about to like, okay, I feel like this could ruin, like, th- they're not gonna like this. And I know that <laughs> um, my lack of confidence is going to like translate for them to be like, "Ooh, we, we don't like this either. <laughs> and so like, man, it's so, di- like, I, I don't know, like performing at um, uh, the Backyard Storytelling Show um, and like the the times where I get to perform outside of churches is so great because those audiences don't get nervous about the same things, you know?
2: Yes. That makes a lot. I'm really interested in hearing this because my, my performance is not, my background is not necessarily performing for churches. Although I have a lot of like family friendly background and I have a lot of um, relatives and friends who are in very religious backgrounds. I have not been subject to the kind of, I think maybe it's because a church is a contained environment in which you come for a very specific purpose. Um, You come anticipating a specific thing. And so maybe when it seems to veer off into something unexpected, and this is just my, my unprofessional opinion on this, maybe that makes them more prone to be uncomfortable when you're giving them something they're not expecting. Like if I walk into a cartoon and all of a sudden... I feel like Lion King did this to me. I'm just going to, I walk into a cartoon and suddenly we're having a tragic death, wherein a lion cub is nudging the body of its dead father. I'm, I still don't watch Lion King. Absolutely (laughs) not. I did not sign up for that experience when I came to watch an animated film. Disney rude. This is just a Duncan on Disney uh, podcast (laughs) now. I'm really sorry. Um, But when you go to a storytelling event, I feel like the environment is more open in that people are ready to hear any type of experience. And so they're a little more prepared to take in something new. So what I want to know from your experience, because you're actually an extremely experienced performer in a lot of different realms. Um, How do you know when you're losing the audience? Or not losing, but making them feel like they're at risk in a way that you don't like?
0: Um, I don't know. I feel like... I like it's it's always like a feeling I don't know it's Mm -hmm. I feel like that part is like very instinctual for me of um of yeah I do not know how to put that into words but like it's it's different with different audiences because like doing school assemblies there are those school assemblies where like the kids don't care. And so they're just gonna talk to each other. And then there are the other school assemblies where the kids do not care. So they are going to like be a wall. Like I'm giving you, I'm gonna be silent, but I'm giving you nothing. And like, those are like two very different types of death.
2: Oh, they, it's so funny you say that. I, I relate so much to that. I, my last position, I was on a grant funded position in which I did outreach to every school in Dallas County that I could. So I saw about 3000 students a semester and I taught math workshops. My goal was to make high school students less afraid of math. Um, And there would be some classrooms I walked in and I'll be honest, I'm a a white lady. I'm a middle-class white lady. I know what I sound like, I know what I look like. um, And I look and sound like somebody who's made a lot of these students' lives harder. I look and sound like people who have shut them down in the past, who have made them feel like they can't do what they need to do or do what I'm telling them they need to do with math. And so the first thing I had to do was feel out what kind of room it was going to be. I was like, "Okay, are we going to be a kind of room where you guys are going to be losing it on each other? Because that tone that I would take in the presentation would be very different from the one where they walled off. And I'll tell you, the walled off is the worst my worst, yes. I don't know, if, have you ever eaten it during one of those presentations, just like totally like fell on your face?
0: In Texarkana, uh, in Texarkana, one school in particular, it was, and it was so packed full of students. Like there were so many kids in the gymnasium and it was just like, just just keep going. Just get to the end, just get to the end. Cause it was, yeah, and it was the worst.
2: It's, I, I actually, in my worst moment, I've never done this before. I completely broke fourth wall And I said, guys, I'm trying so hard right now. (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to get up here and be fun? And the teacher just looked at me from the back of the room like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. It was brutal. It only ever happened once. Um, I've never had a room that bad since I've learned to push through since then, but very early on, oh, I can still feel in my heart this like collapsing feeling when I think of that moment uh, in front of them. So, yeah, it's it's hard. And there is a different energy that comes off of audiences that I can't imagine what that's like while you're trying to be vulnerable, I've been fortunate yeah. to have never faced that in storytelling, but in a very vulnerable environment like a church, I'm sure that presents a, a struggle in how vulnerable do you, do you always go as deep and vulnerable as you had planned to go if they've, if it feels like you're losing So them? that's
0: what's, that's what's weird about churches is that um, when I'm performing in front of older people who are usually more conservative and more, um, difficult to make laugh. I have to be serious for the first two minutes to let them know like I'm a good hearted boy who is oh. not bad. and I have to give like a little bit of like my heart to them. And so then they will like, okay, we can we can trust this guy. so if I do if I'm serious up top, then I can like be funny the rest of the time. Whereas like with um if I'm in front of like students, it's I have to be funny to win over the ability to, like, be serious at the end. Um,
2: I get that. I really get that. That's actually, I think, I was about to say this. Your second story is what I do with storytelling typically. I almost always start off with a comedic punch at the beginning because I want people to feel like it's going to be a really fun ride. And, like, I actually always talk to the audience at the top of my stories. I never go up and just go straight into a story. I'm like, hey, guys, how's it going tonight? Here's what we're going to do. And I have gotten... Oh, I have so many people who come from like a traditional realm of this that are like, don't do that. Just go into your story. I'm like, I, I can't. I have to feel the room. I have to see how they're interacting and I have to start a conversation. I can't. And I imagine this is true for you, but please, I want I want to know more about your experience. I find this so interesting. Um, I can't just give a presentation. I have to have a conversation. It has to feel like there's a dynamic back and forth. Otherwise, it's. Just, I don't know why I wouldn't just record it on video. I will stop... I don't know if you've been at one of the shows when I've done this, but I will stop. I will look an audience member in the face who is reacting to my story, and I'll say, oh, I see you liked that part, sir. Yes, you, sir, right down in the front. If anyone ever did that to me, by the way, I would die. If I was in an audience and someone did that to me, I would rip off my clothes, light myself on fire, and just (laughs) melt in front of them. I couldn't handle it. But I am... When I get on stage, I need people to know that I can see them because I know they're seeing me. And there's something just very intimate about that that I need. I need them to be with me in that moment. And if I feel like I'm losing the room, that re-centers it for me. Everyone's like, oh, wait. Oh, she can see us. Oh, no. Okay. Everybody look good. (laughs) But that's where that improv comes in is feeling when those moments are appropriate Versus when it's going to feel like I'm, I'm tearing the audience apart. I've actually had audience members shout out parts of my story with me before. I conducted the audience like a chorus once um, during oh, one wait. of my stories.
0: I think I was there.
2: I know no, that. that was a different one. I made them be my dad in that one. This is like a bad oh. therapy. This sounds This sounds like a bad therapy experiment or like a hallucination. There was that one. I had them be my dad because I like to talk to people in the audience and I couldn't pick a specific person to do it. And I was like, you're all going to do it. You're all going to be my dad. Thank you so much. Um, Who
0: hasn't made the audience their dad before?
2: <laughs> well, that's honestly, I thought about it later and I was like, this is why I'm in therapy is because I turned everybody into my dad like come on um but i know i recently did a story that is one of my proudest works and it was i recently got on um lexapro i have very severe anxiety extremely like i had no idea how bad it was until i was able to get on the medication and then i noticed that my whole baseline changed like now i Don't wake up in pain every day. I didn't realize that wasn't a thing. I thought everybody just always had digestive upset. And so like when when all of those symptoms stuff, I was like, why isn't everybody sweaty like me? Why isn't all this happening? And then I started the medication. I was like, oh yeah, okay, all right. This is what it's supposed to feel like. Cool, 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 cool. Um, But I conducted the audience as my head during my anxiety. So I put all of my anxieties and I had them shout them out to me and I conducted them like a chorus and then when the medicine kicked in in the story I cut it and it was so deeply strange but I had so many and I I did not know if it was going to work when I tried it in rehearsal it felt like the worst thing in the world my friends were like what are you doing this is wild because I work with a team of people uh, from getting it storytelling and we give each other feedback and then I did it And the tech got into it. He was flickering the lights. Like he, everybody like in the room, I didn't expect the, I didn't expect them to shout at the top of their lungs. I thought I'd get a half, a half like gutted, like, yeah, yeah. No, they were screaming. They were in it. Um, And I started crying. Like it was a horrible, like nightmarish experience. But then when it cut and I just quietly said to them and I was like, and then I woke up and I didn't hear anything. And the room, you could hear a pin drop in that room. I had more people come up to me crying after that show than any show I've done before. Um, and I think it was because I made them be my head.
0: I love that. And like, I <laughs> well, love like, just that like experimental stuff and the this, and this stuff like really taking advantage of what you can do in a live performance that you could mm-hmm. not do anywhere else ever. Yes. Um, that is really cool.
2: Um, but I I've left something I feel like I should say. The what I think stuck with me about storytelling beyond any other of the of the theater things that I've been offered the opportunity to do is it is the opportunity to write and shape and polish something that is organic to you, which I don't feel like the other mediums, improv or stand up, kind of let you be as true to your lived experience as storytelling oh, yeah. does um because you have to you're not expected to edit it beyond shaping it into a story and storytelling like it can give you any emotion you need to and storytelling um and also I'm I like to mix humor and anger and humor and sadness I like to have if I don't have both of those in one of my stories it doesn't feel balanced at all um and stand up unless you're doing Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. Um, which I would contend is a storytelling show, by the way, not a stand-up show. But we can argue that later. Um, you don't really get the opportunity to do that, like salty sweet type of a situation, or maybe you do. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing it.
0: I mean, I feel like if you are doing I, like doing open mics or like trying to get you know break into the scene, I feel like it's impossible to do. But like, I, I would say, I don't know. I feel like more and more of the like one person show type. Um, like Nanette is like the most extreme example, but I think there's a little bit in like what Berbiglia does, like at the end of the show, yeah, their shows. okay. Um, and like Neil Brennan's Three Mics, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like it, and and that's like such a small niche, especially in America, like over in Europe, like oh, every show is like sad and angry and funny, but yeah, it's I mean, yeah, it's so much harder, and that's why that's why I feel like I'm drawn to. The storytelling shows too Is that like It doesn't have to be Like punchline, punchline, punchline The whole time That like you can get uncomfortable And get
2: sad Well, one of your stories That's always stuck with me And my husband and I Actually reference this a lot When we talk about storytelling He's, he's kind of He's from Orlando too So he's my guiding light for quality I'm like, was that good? And he'll just tell me If it was good or not um, But we both agree You told a story about Your mental health at one of the backyard story nights and it stuck with me because it was the most vulnerable and relatable thing I've seen on stage in a while without it being what I like to call forced therapy. When I taught my students, there was a lot of like, this is my chance to use all of you as my therapists, which is actually a form of not seeking consent in a relationship um, there, there needs to be some consent for that emotional back and forth. That's, that's something I used to hate teaching storytelling. Cause I didn't know that language yet. And I had to say, this isn't, this is a safe space for you to share, but this is not a safe space for you to bring out everything you've ever had and throw it at us. I need you to shape it and to think about how you're doing it. And you did that in such an effective way and you are very polished when you were on stage, not in an unapproachable way, but you you can tell like you you're in control of the situation, um, which is appreciated. And I, I don't see that in a lot of young performers. Um, and that was something that really struck me about why storytelling is important. It's you can take something as hard as this, but you can polish it into something that is fun and funny and relatable and heartbreaking.
0: So I think that one of the main one of the main reasons I did want to talk to you about like storytelling and what you do is that this isn't your full-time job. Like this isn't something that you're pursuing to like make a name out of and to get your paycheck from doing this. And yet Mm -hmm. it's something that you're passionate about, that you care about, that you have like taught classes on and that you put so much thought and effort into this creating these experiences. But like, you're not trying to become famous from it. And like (laughs) what, like what, Wow, why do I don't I don't I don't know even how to ask a question about it? Like like I don't want to just be like, why do you do that? Because that no, it's like
2: fine. Spe- that's no, but, that's fair.
0: Yeah, why why is it important to you to keep doing this?
2: Yeah, and I'm a, I'm an educator by the way, so no question you ask me is gonna be like, Taylor, oh Taylor, what a dumb question. Um, but so I didn't for a really long time. I left theater I kind of had my dream crushed a little bit when I was getting ready to go to college I would got into a really fancy theater school for performing and we couldn't afford to send me there and my parents very wisely told me that I shouldn't take out loans to go there I could get free in-state education and so I rebelled and swung the opposite way and I said well good then I'm gonna do science take that mom and dad you're going to regret this when I'm really good at science. I know it's, it was a great plan. 10 out of 10. Um, and I didn't perform for about seven, no, maybe nine years. Like I, I just stopped and I did a lot of public speaking. I did outreach and I, so I got really good at reading a room and being myself in front of an audience, which I had never done before. Um, but when I was in college, my professors noticed that of all the bio kids, I was really loud. And when I gave presentations, I like made an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, but I called it Keeping Up with the Nadarians, which is like jellyfish. And my professors noticed that and they were like, "What is first of all, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Second of all, what are we going to do with you? Because you don't you're not a pre-med kid, you're not a lab kid. You're a lot." What can we do? Um, And so they helped me get an internship with National Public Radio up in Washington, D.C., where I got better at writing and I got better at researching. Um, And then I reached a point in my career where I was just feeling really lost. And I saw an opportunity to meet new people in Dallas because I didn't have a lot of friends here. And storytelling was the shortest class that this program offered. I'd always found my friends through theater class. So it was the shortest one, it was the least expensive one. And I was like, all right, we're doing it. We're going in. And I met my incredible mentor, Julia Cotton. Um, she runs Getting It. She's the most gifted storyteller I've ever met in my entire life. And uh, she basically said, you need to keep doing this. You need to teach. Let's go. Um, so, as a long way of saying, I found my friends through this venue i feel at home on a stage and i feel like i am more wholly myself as a person when i do theater but i didn't expect to find storytelling i didn't i didn't expect that that would be a thing and actually i'm notorious for taking on too much uh that is my my mo i don't know if that's something you experience but when you're a performer and you come up in that you are often afraid to say no to anything because when will another opportunity show up do you ever experience that
0: Oh yeah 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 you have to take anything and everything that comes your way. And sometimes it's the overcommitment of time and then sometimes it's you've committed to a show that it turns out you knew when you said yes to it it will not be good because it is yes. just you know gonna be like, hey, come do comedy at a birthday party. Like I've done oh, that gosh. once. <gasps> I did that once, and uh, it was when I was like first starting out. And they were like, just don't do any like bathroom humor. And when I was starting out, that's all that I had. And so oh, no. um, I was just trying to fill time, and it was a surprise birthday. It was really bad, it was terrible. And uh, How- so, yeah, I've had to start, learn to say no.
2: How big of a crowd was that?
0: It was maybe 30 people. Um, but they weren't like sitting down to listen to me. It was like, uh, the table of food is open. So like the table of food was right in front of the stage. So people were like getting little cheeses and getting little crackers and then returning to their seats and everyone was milling about as I was on stage. And it was terrible.
2: that's a nightmare. That's, I've had nightmares like that. That's a nightmare. Uh,
0: What, so like how, how, I guess is it just like, you, you knew that it's important to you that like feeling fulfilled and like f- uh, feeling whole from doing theater. So like that makes it easier for you to make time for it. Cause I feel like that's probably the biggest reason why most people don't have a hobby or most people don't have that like thing that the creative thing or self-expression thing. It's just like, everyone just says like, I don't have time, you know?
2: Right. I, I think for me, yes, I got very lucky in that I was raised in a way that you are always expected to do something outside of work or school. You gotta, you gotta enrich your skills. You gotta build a wide variety of skills. And my, my reasoning, my thought in my entire like process of life is the more skills you can develop, the better suited you will be to every situation you're going to be in. Like that's such a survivalist way of thinking about it. Like I'm doomsday bunker prepping my skill sets. Um, but I've been afforded so many amazing opportunities because I have my degree in science and my experience in theater that other folks would not have had. I mean, I've been an animal trainer. I've been a reporter or sorry, an intern for a reporter. I was not a reporter. Um, and I've been, I don't want to lie. And I've been a teacher. I've run outreach programs. Um, I've been a producer for science storytelling. So that just kind of, it's like a snowballing effect. It reinforced it for me that the more diverse things you do, the more your life will be enriched. But also, um, Finding time is hard, and failing stinks. Failing's the worst thing. You know how many things I've tried and i failed at
1: yeah.
3: before doing
2: this? They put me in a soccer team, Taylor. They put me in a so- <laughs> My parents put me in a soccer team. They were like, she's small and beefy. She's going to be an athlete. Mm-mm, just Italian, not an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so I there's actually, my parents have uh, a memory of me on the soccer field I was on the blue team um which obviously I should have been on the red team but anyways uh they they all the game is happening on the left side of the field and I am over on the right side of the field picking flowers and singing a song about picking flowers and asking when I could have my snack so I was not I did a lot of things that I was really embarrassed to do I did a lot of crafting things um a very short stint in tennis which was very bad they just assigned me to pick up the tennis balls and then I found theater and so my outlet was decided for me um but other people it's it's gonna take time effort money and some failure in a lot of cases and I feel like a lot of folks don't see why that's worth it but it just it builds your skills it builds your life experience and it gives you a story to tell I think that's really important yeah
0: Um, I started to, uh, I have a subscription to Masterclass for the year. Okay. And so I've been watching those, uh, videos and I watched one on poetry. And so I started writing poetry and it's terrible. They're really bad. Um, but it's just been like a fun exercise and, and something like, it's just been fun, like freeing, like I'm doing a creative thing that no one will ever see. Yes. This is just for me. Yes. And. I feel like it's like already helped me like in, in reading more poetry and writing some like, I feel like, oh, I can find metaphors and storytelling easier now because of like, this is like helping my brain to be better at that. Um, which like, yeah, I, yeah. We just always like think of like what's useful and like this, like we need to know ahead of time, like how will this advance me? But like, uh, no, it's just good to, you, don't, you, know, you, don't, you have no idea how it's gonna help you sometimes. <laughs>
2: And I also, I may be the, the bad person to, to say this because I'm always, I'm very strategic in that I'm always thinking about how to convince myself it's going to advance me, even if it won't. Like, uh, that's how I, I sell this on myself. That and M&Ms. I give myself rewards of M&Ms if I do things I don't want to do. <laughs> Which, by the way, every storytelling show I've ever done, I haven't wanted to do. I, I have a moment when we're driving in the car where I look at my husband and I'm like, you can turn around. And Uh-oh. he... <laughs> and he's like no I can't you do this every time like you could but but you could um I have to throw out shoes that I wear when I perform quite frequently actually because I get so nervous that I sweat through my socks and it makes my feet stink um so I think there's something really valuable to doing new things that maybe aren't gonna like fiscally benefit you but will enrich your spirit but also things that's scare you I don't know why I keep developing these hobbies that terrify me um but that's a big thing being getting up and being afraid and then doing it anyways regardless of what it is is huge I think that's a life skill in itself
0: There are so many things that Devin said in that conversation that I absolutely love. I love the idea of like always looking for things to better yourself, but looking outside of like, outside of what you're used to, outside of what you're doing for work, finding things that are so far away from that because it it just might surprise you how it feeds back into the things that you do with your life. And then also just looking for things that scare you, and how important it is to intentionally push yourself outside of your comfort zone. I am so grateful for Devin, for taking the time to have that conversation with me. I I told her it was only gonna be a very short conversation and we talked for a whole lot longer because I just did not want it to end. I hope you enjoyed that. And now we'll transition into the last segment of the podcast. It's been a while, I know. You might've forgotten all about this. At the end of every episode, Uh, because usually the conversations, the interviews that we have are are, are sometimes over more serious, more vulnerable, more emotional topics. I always want to end with something a little more lighthearted. So the ending segment, the ending like 10 minutes of the episode uh, is usually I'll bring a friend on, somebody who is very funny, very entertaining for a story or just a bit or something. And this week, I am bringing back my friend, Laban Massey, because Laban and I are both very awkward people, very socially uncomfortable everywhere. And over a couple of episodes, we would bring different scenarios to each other, real life scenarios that we have experienced, to try to see if the other person can help us figure out how do we handle this awkward, awkward situation. And usually involves us trying to role play out possible solutions, and it never works. And it is never helpful, but hopefully it's entertaining. Because this week I am bringing a real life scenario to Laban to see if he can help me figure it out. Hope you enjoy. I have a social interaction that is so ultra specific. I'm ready. I want to see if you can tell me, how do you handle this? Okay. This is a real thing that really happened to me. Yeah, right. Several years ago. I believe you. I was at Six Flags in San Antonio, rode a ride called the Rattler. I was riding this ride by myself. I did not have somebody with me who I was going to be riding with.
3: What's the Rattler like? Just so I can kind of visualize it.
0: Wooden roller coaster. Used to be the tallest wooden roller coaster in America. Okay. Great ride. The first drop is huge. And it's really great. I think it's a day that the, the, the place is pretty packed. Yeah. So I get on the ride with a man. Um, another man is riding by himself. And so we both get into the cart together. We don't talk much. Maybe say one thing to each other. It's not yeah. like we're having a great conversation the entire time. We're in the loading process. Yeah. But we say like one or two things, kind of friendly. This man is probably, I'm probably 24. He is probably in his late 30s.
3: Okay. The ride starts. I was afraid you were going to say he was in his 80s or something. It was like... And he died, right? Yeah, he How died. do you handle that? Go ahead.
0: So the ride starts. We come out of the little... Uh, opening area, you go down a hill and then you go up the first hill with the chain and the... Yes. <laughs> you go all the way up. We get to the top. Everybody raises their hands. I raise my hands. The man raises his hands too. We go down the first hill. Halfway down the first hill. I am not lying when I say that we both have our arms up and the man reaches over and grabs my hand. <laughs> And I go, and I pull my hands down immediately. And I do not look at him the rest of the ride because this man who was like laughing and giggly and grabbed my hand, I, I, am, I do not look over anywhere near him the rest of the ride. And I'm just like, what just happened? What just happened? What just happened? <laughs> and then we get off the ride and I don't look at him and I just run away. You left the park. <laughs> I left the park. i I'm moved. Done. <laughs> I left San Antonio. My name changed. I used to be, I used to have a different identity.
3: No. Yeah. Is there a way
0: I could have confronted this man about grabbing my hand?
3: Hmm. Because do you think there's any way that grabbing the hand was an accident? It was a grab. He like grabbed it. So it was firmly It was like he was trying grasped. to
0: hold my hand not a not a graze not a bump he grabbed <laughs> my hand
3: i think we probably should role play okay all right <laughs> okay yeah i'll be the i'll be the 30-year-old man so, okay all right so where do you want to start just us getting in or
0: no no i think let's let's role, uh, like let's say that i don't say anything during the rest of the roller coaster but now the ride has stopped okay we're back at home base Okay, knee gut reaction. What do I do? How do I handle this? What if I really did want to confront this person, what do I say? We pull into the station and I would go.
3: Did you just try to hold my hand? Yeah. I got scared. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, this is Well, that was kind of weird, man. That kind of freaked me out. Well, it was just like there was a lot of I had a lot of adrenaline. And I was like, this is my favorite roller coaster at this park. So, Do you
0: hold everyone's <laughs> hand that you ride with? Yeah. You should <laughs> warn them. You should say, hey, by the way, I'm about to hold your hand.
3: Here, let me. <laughs> you want to go ride another ride with me? No. <laughs> okay, let's try. You, you be me. You be me. Okay. I'm right. the 30-year-old man. I made the 30-year-old a
0: little bit too weird. Yeah, well, I mean, he But looked. he could say anything. He grabbed he grabbed my hand on a roller coaster. <laughs> he's not it's not like he's going to be the most n- mild-mannered man. No. There is something strange going on.
3: Okay, all right. I'll be you in the situation. Okay, we pull into the station. All right. Hey, uh, did you grab my hand while we were riding the roller coaster? Huh? I think you, when I put my, when we both put our hands up, learned like the big drop. I mean, it was a great drop, but I think you grabbed my hand. I was just like, that was really weird. Oh no, I didn't. I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, no, man. I think you, you tried to grab my hand. Why are you denying this? Dude.
0: Hey man, this guy's trying to grab my hand. <laughs> hey everybody, this guy's a pervert, dude.
3: Hey, stop. Security,
0: can we get this pervert <laughs> off this ride? No, I love this ride. This is my favorite ride here. He keeps talking about how great the drop was, and then he tried <laughs> to hold my hand. No. And then you go to jail.
3: Yeah. Shoot. Okay.
0: There's no, yeah. Because basically, lying gets you out of most situations when it's just your word against someone else. Because, yeah, if I'm like, hey, man, did you try to grab my hand? And you could just be like, nope. Like, if you oh, said, well.
3: Or if you just it, immediately said, sorry, like, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry, I thought you were my wife. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I forgot you were there. And then you could I think you could get away with that. Like I don't think you would think it's as weird. If he was just like, "Yeah, I'm really sorry about that." If he just immediately apologized, then it's like, hmm. "Oh. Okay." Is that the is that the way to do more weird things in public? Pro- uh, yeah. If he just because then it looks like you're being sincere at least.
0: So, just like any weird thing you want to do in public, you can probably get away with it as long as you apologize right afterwards.
3: Yes. It's a, it's, we found the loophole.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Just be quick to apologize.
3: Like, cause I would, that's like when you run into someone, like on accident, you just immediately apologize. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, if he, like, if he would have grabbed your hand, you guys wouldn't have said anything afterwards and be like, hey, or if you would have been like, hey, Did you grab my hand when we were on there? He's like, I'm sorry. Like, that was just a knee jerk reaction.
0: Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to grab your hand and start kissing it. And (laughs) that was so weird. I don't even know what that was. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to firmly grasp it. Is this what it's like to be a woman in 2019? (laughs) This is terrible. Dude, I've had a few situations like that. Like I once had a doctor that she, she, I swear she was flirting with me every time I would go to see her. And it made me so uncomfortable, I didn't want to go to the doctor anymore. And I was just like, is, it, is this a small taste of what it's like to be a woman that you can't go certain places because dudes are always trying to flirt with you and it makes you so uncomfortable? And like, you can't just say something. You no. can't just be like, hey, stop flirting with me. I can't say that to my doctor because then she could be like, what are you talking about? I'm not flirting with you. I'm just Why being a doctor. Being weird? <laughs> yeah, this is how doctors act. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, and then there's no good way out
3: no there's no way of
0: we need to pray for women it's tough it's hard dudes are weird man
3: they suck as one not a fan so wait we we, we'll go and say this i mean we've ridden a roller coaster together so if i grabbed your hand on a roller coaster how would you confront me i feel like it would be less pressure
0: that i could just be like what the heck did you just try to grab my hand why'd you do that I think, yeah, I would immediately get off and tell everybody else in the group, Even well, just try to grab my hand. I'd be like, it was
3: f- funny. That's all I would say. <laughs> it's hilarious, though. <laughs> this is what it's like to be a girl. <laughs> just guys later like, no, dude, I was joking. It was a joke. That DM I sent you was a joke. I'm just when being I, funny. When I confessed my love to you, that was just me joking with you. Dude, that was a wrong number. My friend took my phone. <laughs> that wasn't me. I just accidentally sent you're hot. It was an accident. <laughs> I meant to say that you're nice or you're cool. <laughs> you got to believe me. It was autocorrect. <laughs> There's no way out of this. No. This is like this is a tough situation because I this think this is yeah, the it's it's a small enough problem that it, the only way to solve it is to ignore it. You got to ignore it or literally just be like yeah, because they got they got to bring it up. If you bring it up, then it's just gonna make. What? Point. How
0: are they gonna bring? Hey, so uh, did you notice that I grabbed your
3: hand? Huh? What'd you think about that? It's pretty cool when I grabbed your hand, wasn't it? You loved that, huh?
0: <laughs> no, I didn't.
3: I just can't ride rides anymore, no. or maybe just not put my hands up. I mean, you don't. It's not the law to put your hands up. It's just. <laughs> But it right. is, a, but it's a lot more fun.
1: <laughs> mm, 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 mm.
0: Doesn't it feel good to be at the end of another episode of the Taylor Johnson podcast? It has been too long, and I've missed you and I hope that you have missed me too. I'm excited to be back. Every other week, a new episode from now until eternity. I have been putting together different interviews that I'm gonna get recorded so that I could have a huge backlog of interviews that will you know, sustain me forever. And I am really, really excited about some of the interviews that I have coming up. The conversations that I'm going to have, I am really interested in what they're gonna be about. So, um, look forward to that. Make sure you rate and review, subscribe, tell a friend, whatever it is that you can do in your power to share this with the world. I don't know why I'm talking like this. I hate it. Um, that's the end. I want to thank Jordan Combs and Lucky Star for the use of their songs in the episode. I want to thank you for listening. That's it. That's the end. I'll see you in two weeks. Find a hobby. Do something that scares you.